We are in the last of four weeks of a series called A God Who. You'll remember that God does not give us a list of bullet points about God because that would just be too easy. Instead, God gave us many narratives, many stories that describe the character of God and what God does in the midst of humanity and creation. So now three weeks ago, we talked about a God who appears A God who appeared to Moses as a burning bush that was not burnt up. Because God heard the cry of those who were being oppressed in Egypt. And God said, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And I will be there as I will be there. God promises us presence. The second week, we took a look at a God who accompanies After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, God stayed with them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was present. God was moving with them. God was not vague about who God was. Then last week, we talked about how God is prejudiced, not in the way that we think about what prejudice looks like, but that God is prejudiced towards the widow, the stranger, and the orphan. God is prejudiced towards those who have lost connection to place or society or family or resources. So today, week four of four, We're talking about how God is passionate. So with that, hear these words of scripture. From Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets... Words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. It's okay, that's funny. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and do not let anyone be seen throughout all the mountain and do not let flocks or herds graze in front of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And he said, I hereby make a covenant before all your people. I will perform marvels such as have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation and all the people among whom you live shall shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you've been here, you've also remembered that each week as we've talked about a God who appears or accompanies or is prejudiced or today is passionate, we've been pairing it with our four guiding values as a church. So the first week we talked about a God who heals, this, or I'm sorry, that we, that we talk about heal, connect, grow, and our fourth word is share. So it would make sense that today we talk about a God who is passionate and what it means to share our faith. And I think that these are probably, of the four weeks of the series and of our four guiding values, talking about a God who is passionate and talking about how to share our faith are perhaps the two hardest to talk about of all of those. Because we like to get specific when we talk about how God is passionate. Here at Ridgewood, we talk about how God is passionate about loving everyone. That anyone can serve in in the pulpit. That anyone can serve on the deacon board. That's how we believe God is passionate. But But the crazy thing is to me that we could go to a church down the road and there's another side to that passionate God about how God passionately does not allow those people to be in the pulpit. How God does not allow those people to serve on a deacon board. So it seems like there might be two sides to every passionate God we talk about. And that's hard. Because when we get into the specifics of God's passion, we start to draw lines in the sand. And today, if we're to talk about how to share our faith, our our fourth value, we might bring up the word evangelize. And that word can be a scary word. (laughs) Because it comes from the Greek euangelion, which just at its core means good news. We have good news to tell, but that word evangelize has been usurped by a group (laughs) where evangelizing means leaving these people out and these people in. The word evangelize has been taken up and made a little dirty in our Christian faith. 
And even as a pastor, even as someone who wears my faith on my occupation, evangelizing or sharing my faith is hard to do because it involves risk. I may not know the answers to everything. There may be a point where our relationship may have to end. Or maybe someone will label me because of how I see God and practice that in my daily life. Passion and sharing are the two hardest things to talk about. I want to do something a little bit crazy, a little bit different today. If you have a pencil or a pen near you, I want you to grab it or make friends with someone who does have one. And grab a bulletin, grab something you can write on, because this might be a test. It's not really a test. But I want you to think through this. I have three questions for you. Each one needs to have two to three answers to it. That sounds like a lot. We're not writing essays. It's it's just words. The first question is, what are you passionate about? It could be anything. don't, Don't give me like the Sunday school Jesus answer. I'm passionate about sharing my faith. That's great. I hope you are. What are you passionate about? Give me two things. Two things you are passionate about. If you're feeling sassy, you can give me three. What are you passionate about? Second question. What would others say you're passionate about? That may match up. That may not. Be honest with yourself. What would others say you are passionate about? Two or three things. So first question, what are you passionate about? Second, what would others say you're passionate about? One more question to think about. What do you want to be passionate about? What do you want to be passionate about? Two to three things. How do those answers line up? Do they line up? Is there overlap? Is there discrepancy? I think when we talk about the feeling of passion and a God who is passionate, sometimes we have to understand the feeling of passion within ourselves first. So what you're thinking about, that you're passionate about, or what others would say you're passionate about, or what you want 
to be passionate about. We'll come back to the scripture. But hold on to that list. During my summer between my first and second year of seminary, I got to serve in a tiny little town called Newton Grove, North Carolina, at a two-point Methodist charge. Now, what the Methodists do, because they have teeny tiny churches, is that sometimes they'll have one pastor over two churches, so that's a two-point charge, or a three-point charge. Those exist. There are four-point charges. Yes, there are five-point charges. I was at a two-point charge, so what that meant was we would have a worship service at Newton Grove United Methodist Church at 9, I believe, or 9.30. We would do that worship service. We would end it, and that meant at 10.30 we would drive about 15 minutes down the road to Maple Grove United Methodist Church and have a very similar service there with different people. And within these churches, there was a lot of families. Um, This is rural, so a lot of it was grandkids, aunts, uncles. Everybody was related. Um, And it was a really interesting experience being there because these church buildings weren't just church buildings. They were family buildings. (laughs) They could point to the pew or the altar or the door or the carpet or um, the kitchen that uncle so-and-so or great-grandmother so-and-so had funded and put a plaque on. So they were very protective. And while I was there, because I was young, um, obviously it was my duty to corral the children and youth into some kind of weekly programming during the summer. And it was a lot of fun Um, because they I had about nine youth and they were all related. It was great. Um, So we did these these crazy things. Uh, We did a messy game night. That was fun. Um, We we did a movie night. That was that was great. Uh, But um, one one Wednesday night. Because these folks, uh, for, the, for the most part, were not uh, very uh, economically secure, a lot of times they were the recipients of, of charity in the area. And so one thing that we wanted to do was to help other people in the ways that we could. And it was really cool being able to see these teenagers that were usually cared for or given to, then flip the tables and figure out how they could give to or care for others. So what we did one Wednesday night, was we put together toiletry bags for the migrant workers that were in the town. Um, We wrote notes and letters to shut-ins or veterans in the area. They hand-wrote notes, um, put them in envelopes, sealed them. Um, And we also made flower pots and put little flowers into them that we were going to take to the nursing home. This was on on a Wednesday night. And the most fun part for me, because I really wanted them to have the hands-on experience, the fun part for me was I was in charge of the poster board on the wall. Our goal was in one hour, we would affect 100 lives. That was our goal. Nine youth, some projects to do. And so what I was doing was on this poster board that was stuck to the wall, I would tally every time a bag was packed or a note was written or a pot was planted. We got to 100, and at when we hit 100, we had a celebration, of course, of course. And so we decided that 
the next morning, we would meet together and go to the nursing home. Some would go to the shut-ins to deliver cards and flowers, and then we'd all go and deliver these toiletry bags together, too. So the next morning, as I'm driving into church, I pull in, and I, re- and I notice a woman's car, who usually cleans the church, was there. And so I walk in, and I said, Hey, Miss Diane, did you hear what we did last night? We affected 100 lives in less than 60 minutes, and now we're going to go deliver all that stuff. And she said, Come here for a second. And she took me back to the kitchen where we were working, where my poster board had been that I had taken off the wall and taken with me that night. And she said, do you see that? And I said, no. (laughs) She said, there are four marks on the wall where the tape ripped the paint off the wall. And I said, We affected 100 lives in 60 minutes. But she couldn't get past the paint chips on the walls. And you might think that I'm going with a let's support the youth program. But the fact was she had loved that church and that building her entire life. She had watched her mother and her grandmother love that church and that entire building. And that was all that she could see. Her passion in the church was for the well-being of the building. Meanwhile, my passion in that moment was empowering these teenagers to do good. Mine was cheering them on, getting them to affect 100 lives in 60 minutes. And the truth is, I don't think either one of those is bad. But I think those passions are so laser-focused that we had trouble bringing them together. And and our passions were different. Maybe they were incompatible. Maybe they were in competition. But they were certainly blind to the other people's passions. And it's not that we were wrong. It's just that we were limited. What are you passionate about? Remember those words you wrote down? What are you passionate about? And in the context of a church community, how can that limit or how can that benefit? Your second question was, how would, or what would others say that you're passionate about? Some of y'all probably thought, what have I posted on my Facebook recently? What are my bumper stickers? What have I said recently? What do I talk about the most? What do I care about the most? What do I think about most often? What would other people say that I'm passionate about? The cool thing about being Christians when we read the Old Testament is that we often read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. Um, but as we, as we read today, we read when Moses encountered God. And I want to um, take us 
back through some of the chapters before. So just bear with me here for a second, okay? So we know that when the Israelite people came out of Egypt, God went with them as a pillar of cloud and fire, right? That was somewhere back in, oh, Exodus. Let's see, where, what, where was that? It was back in Exodus somewhere. And then he goes back into Egypt, or I'm sorry, no, he did not go back into Egypt. I'm, I'm way long ago. Okay. So then as he comes, as they come out of Egypt with the fire and pillar, I'm in the right place now. I'm sorry. Okay. Here's what um, God starts talking about um, as the Israelites come back to Mount Sinai. So the first thing that God does is tell the people how to be consecrated, how to prepare for an encounter with God. And then God gives the Ten Commandments. I'm really just reading the um, the titles in this, which is probably not really in the Hebrew, but just roll with me for a second, okay? Then uh, God gives the law concerning the altar, and then God gives the law concerning slaves, and then God gives the law concerning violence, laws concerning property, laws of restitution, social and religious laws, justice for all, which starts, you shall not spread a false report, um, how to do a sabbatical year and a sabbath the conquest of canaan is promised god uh, gives us the blood of the covenant how we are supposed to use that um god then talks about the offerings for the tabernacle how to prepare the ark of the covenant and this is really specific god said the ark shall be made of acacia wood it shall be two and a half cubits long a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high that is very specific then god talks about the table for the bread of the presence um, again, you shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, one cubit wide, a cubit and a half high. Then God talks about the lampstand. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The base and the shaft of the lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Um, God talks about how to make the tabernacle. Oh, then God goes back and says, here's how to make the framework of the tabernacle. Um, then God talks about the altar of the burnt offering, how to make the court and all of its hangings within the tabernacle, the oil for the lamp, which is supposed to be from olives, if you did not know, um, the vestments for the priesthood, here we go on the priesthood, um, the breastplate for the priest, um, all of... All of the priestly vestments for the priests and then how to ordain the priest. The ordination of the priest, the daily offerings, the the altar of incense. Oh my goodness. The half shekel for the sanctuary, the bronze basin, which is different than the basin that you have outside of the tabernacle. This is in the tabernacle. And then the anointing of oil and incense. Then the Sabbath law. Then the two tablets of the covenant are finally handed down with all of this written by the finger of God. That's a little bit exhausting. So if we were to ask God what God is passionate about, (laughs) or we were to guess what God is passionate about, judging by the last, oh, 13 chapters of Exodus, I would guess that God is passionate about specific building materials that God might like HGTV. Or second, that God wants us to get it right the first time, so God is giving specific directions. Third, maybe God is protecting God's people from each other and from God. Maybe God is overambitious, or maybe God is controlling. Or maybe... God says how you order your faith in your daily life reveals how passionate you are about your God. Because without direction in our community towards God, we will fail. In chapter 32, the title is The Golden Calf. As God is giving these specific directions on wood and lampstands and anointing investments, 
The Israelites are down at the base of the mountain while Moses is up on the top of the mountain. And they're trying to figure out what to do. So Aaron says, Moses' son says, well, why don't we take all of our gold jewelry, melt it down, and make a cow to worship? Sounds logical, right? With no direction, God knows that we will be passionate about something. But what are we going to be passionate about? Because then God gets angry. And I know that we don't like to talk about God being angry. We don't like to talk about that. But here's what God says. God says, now let me alone. This is after the golden calf incident. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you, Moses, I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, Lord his God and said, oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Skipping down a few verses The Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. What do you wish others would say you're passionate about? I struggle with that personally. I bet you probably do too. What do you wish others would say you're passionate about? Because when we write down what we are passionate about and then what we want to be passionate about, probably somewhere in there we've widened our scope. We're passionate about this, but we want to be passionate about something bigger. I'm passionate about women in ministry. But I want to be passionate about everyone in the church. How do we open ourselves up to God and how others may challenge us? I think it's through encounter. Because after the golden calf, Moses intercedes. And as much as God wants to be angry, Moses said, please don't. And God changes God's mind. And then God tells Moses, bring two more tablets. Because he broke the last ones out of anger. So bring two more tablets. And as Moses went up to Mount Sinai, we're told The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. Not Jesus yet, but the presence of God that had been a cloud high up on a mountain came and encountered Moses. When we talk about a passionate God, sometimes we roll into words like 
epistemology or ecclesiology or inerrancy or infallibility or inspired or justification and sanctification. But I think below all of that stuff, the thing that reminds us we have a passionate God is the encounters that we have on a regular basis with our God. Because this God was compelled by grace and mercy and steadfast love and emotions that might have gotten him hurt or angry again. But God was passionate for God's people. So much so, in fact, that we know the end of this story. Father Richard Rohr says that God loves things by becoming them. When we talk about sharing who we are, I think God calls us to love others by encountering them. Not because we've sorted out what our passion is or or what others think our passion is or what we wish our passion was, but because that is part of our story that we're writing. And if we're honest, that's part of the story that others are writing too. And what if we came together and shared our stories? In that moment... We know that God is passionate about encounter because God gave us chapters and chapters on how to encounter in the tabernacle. And then God encountered us with Jesus and now challenges us to encounter others with that same spirit. How are you going to share your encounter with God this week? Let's pray together. God of passion, we pray that you would open our hearts, that our passions wouldn't limit those of others, but it would widen your kingdom. We pray that we may not get caught up in the little things, God, but that You would encounter us, challenge us us to think bigger. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.